Okay, um, dudes, fellas, and other gendered humans or non-gendered humans who are growing a beard, this one goes out to you. I firsthand know the struggle of trying to get your beard looking something remotely decent looking, and I know that somewhere out there there's somebody trying to grow a killer beard, but you're plagued by the itchy, stiff, like the unkempt beard growth. This does not have to be you, so don't let this be you. Captain's handmade small batch beard oil helps you tame your rough mane and reduces itching, and it smells amazing. It's made from a blend of organic and wildcrafted ingredients, and their all-natural formulas enrich and strengthen your beard while remaining light and easily absorbed by your hair and your skin. Start growing your best beard possible. Visit buycaptain.com and use discount code B-E-D-L-A-M, that's Bedlam, and you're going to get free shipping on all of your orders in the U.S. You can live your best life possible and be your own captain. Again, go to buycaptain.com, that's B-U-Y, captain, as in I'm going to purchase captain. Use this discount code Bedlam, and you're going to get free shipping on all your orders. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. And I'm Kevin Garcia, and I am horrible about getting this thing out on a Monday because I've been traveling so much. Wedding season, y'all, it's coming to a close, but right now, like, I'm in the thick of it. I've got one more on the weekend of October 1st, so let's just say expect delays on the podcast then as well. Um, But hey, welcome to A Tiny Revolution. I'm super glad you're here. Um, today I'm going to be doing some stuff, uh, from the mailbag. I'm going to be answering some questions on coming out and what that looked like for me and what it could look like for you. Um, October 1st, like I said, I'm going to be in Nashville for a wedding. So if you're around and you want to hang out, let's hang. Um, October 11th, I'm actually trying to schedule an event called, um, thank you for coming out, which is national coming out day. More information on that is forthcoming, but I think that would be a really fun storytelling night. October 12th, I am planning on being in Santa Barbara for a speaking engagement with Spectrum Ministries. And October 20th through the 22nd, I'm in, where am I? Long Beach for the Reformation Project in LA. I am leading worship. It is a distinct honor to be doing that. And I'm so excited to see all of my friends out there. You're probably going to be seeing my Twitter blow up, my Instagram story on Cray. Um, so if you like me or you like my life, you can follow me on all the social medias at the Kevin Garcia underscore on Twitter or at the Kevin Garcia on Instagram. Um, yeah. So follow me on those platforms. I'm also on Facebook. If you haven't uh, liked my fan page, just go to facebook.com slash Kevin dot Garcia and you can find me and connect with me there. Additionally, I actually just launched a t-shirt design. I'm super stoked about it, and I think it's it looks pretty badass, in my opinion. It says, Bad Theology Kills, and if you've been following my blog for a while, I often talk about how bad theology that tells people that their sexuality or gender identity isn't valid kills them, spiritually um, and physically, through suicide, self-harm, and also outright violence from outside sources. Um, it's a really, really great shirt, and each month that I put the shirt out, which I'm going to be putting it out every single month... 20% of those proceeds are going to go to a different um, LGBT organization that is fighting for the lives and the rights of the queer community. And this month, I'm excited to share with you that I'm going to be giving 20% of the proceeds to Faith in America, which is headed up by my friend Eliel Cruz, and they work to end religious-based bigotry and improve the lives of LGBTQ plus people all over the U.S. through education and the empowerment of queer individuals. So go to thekevingarcia.com slash merch, and you'll be able to link up to the two designs that I have. They're just white and black, v-neck and crewneck, and they say bad theology kills. So if you want to start a conversation in your community, this is a great way to do that. Uh, yeah, so that's that. For part one, let's reach into the mailbag and have a conversation about coming out. talked about coming out on the podcast so much because it's such a very interesting and subjective thing and like every single story is different and nuanced and yet all the stories have such similar themes in there so when I'm talking here I'm gonna share a bit about my own story and my own process and I'm also going to share like some universal ideas about that 
But let's go ahead and start with the actual question. I got this via Facebook Messenger. And just so you know, I edited the the message slightly just to protect the person who emailed me. I don't want to let their identity get out there in case it puts them in danger. So, So let's go ahead and jump into the message. Hey, Kevin. My name is Janice, and long story short... I am gay. I am 22 years old with a family that has grounded me into the Christian faith. It's hard to be Christian and gay, at least when you have the pressures from fellow brothers, sisters, and pastors telling you how sinful, dirty, and despised you are. I'm so ready to come out, but I'm scared, mostly because of my community's conservative stance. What is some advice for folks who are looking to come out, and what are some things I can do to make this transition easier for myself? Thanks so much for writing in your podcast. It's meant a lot to me. Best, Janice. First of all, thank you for writing, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, coming out is difficult and interesting because it's so different for everyone. Um, there are those of us who came out later in life. Like, I came out in my mid-20s, and I know people who have been coming out beyond, like, into their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that has its own set of challenges with it. And there are also brave teens who are living their truth now and they're out and open in high school or even middle school. And honestly, I couldn't imagine doing that because when I graduated from high school in 2008, it was such a different time. And for me, I lived in a very conservative area and it was incredibly difficult to be openly gay and a person of faith. Um, There was just this huge dichotomy. There was no both and. It was only either or. Um, so I'm going to tell you about my coming out process a bit. Um, and then I, I want to touch on some things I feel that are a little bit more universal that we could all draw from. I think it's a lot of things that many of us in the queer community face when coming out. Um, and if you're a straight person listening to this, don't tune out, don't fast forward to the interview. Um, cause I think there's some really good tips in here that you can incorporate to your life as an ally, or maybe, um, maybe this will encourage you to actually be more public about your support for your queer family and friends. For a queer person, no matter what being queer looks like to you, you know, bi, trans, gay, or any of the other things beyond the plus of LGBTQ+, I think coming out is an essential and beautiful spiritual experience that I honestly think it's a privilege that we get to go through. And yeah, it's hard, but it's it, it teaches you how to love in a whole different way, I think. Um... I know a lot of people have said, well, we should live in a world where people don't have to come out. And yes, I'm totally for that, but we simply aren't there yet. And that's why I think talking about coming out, sharing our coming out stories and sharing stories in general, and I think being public about it, um, I think it's an incredibly powerful move because as we claim our own freedom, we set other people to be free too, unknowingly. I know that through my blog when I came out, there's so many queer pastors and um, people who are closeted or people who just wanted their own set of freedom who wrote to me and said, thanks for doing what you're doing. And I don't know them. And it's simply because I was bold enough to share my story. I typed up a thousand words and I hit submit on WordPress. And now I'm doing a podcast about this stuff. But you don't know who you're going to reach with your truth. And your truth is always going to be something incredibly powerful for you. So... And your truth is going to be powerful for other people, more than you're ever going to understand. So that's why I think coming out and being public about it is a really bold move and a really good move. And I think a necessary move. But let me tell you about my coming out experience. When I first came out, I was 14. Um, I came out to my parents and I was immediately put into reparative therapy because at the time my parents were scared. Uh, it This was a back in like 2005, kind of the heyday of reparative therapy. So they did what they thought was best. And honestly, I agreed to go into reparative therapy because I, A, I didn't want to go to hell because I believed that that was the punishment for rebelling against God. And I also wanted, quote, what God wanted for my life, unquote. Um, And I was on board with that line of thinking and stuck with that line of thinking for over a decade, but none of it really worked. And so... I tried to believe, I tried to have faith in what was spoken over me, that my sexuality could be changed, and that maybe one day I would marry a woman, and that would be a sign of my healing. But when dating women proved to be something that I couldn't continue, or at least continue to do with honesty, uh, I actually allowed myself to listen to what God was speaking to me all along. And things really changed for the better. 
And there are blogs you can find on my coming out story, all on my blog, uh, how I felt affirmed in my sexuality and my identity as a son of God. You can go to thekevingarcia.com slash start here. And all of my favorite blogs are posted up there. So in the months leading to my actual, I guess my second coming out, if you will, I was super intentional about the conversations I was having with people. So they didn't hear it from somebody else. They didn't hear it through Facebook. Um, I called my family, like all of my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, and I'm really close with my whole family. So it was important to me that they knew. Um, I called people who were close to me from my last church. Um, and I had multiple lengthy conversations about my shift in theology towards being affirming of LGBT people and myself. I talked about how I felt that God had set me free to love myself as God loves me. And I felt more passionate and excited about living than ever. I talked about the reality of trying to end my life because of self-hatred, because I wanted to show the depths of depravity that this line of thinking leads to, that what bad theology does to you is literally produces the fruit of death in people's lives. And so I started with my story. That's what I'm trying to get at here. I started with my story and I stuck with my story because theology can be argued. Doctrine can be pushed around and, you know, the Bible can be used as a weapon with an agenda, et cetera, et cetera. But your story, and I say this a lot, your story is your most powerful tool when moving through this life, whether you are coming out or otherwise. Your story is one thing that can't be revoked. Your experience can never be invalidated. And thankfully, my family has been super supportive through this whole process. And they've been loving me even when they don't quite understand what I'm walking through. And to be great, to be frank with you, we don't explicitly talk about my sexuality or my dating life as a family overall, because I feel like a lot of my family, cousins, brothers, mother, are still fairly conservative overall. But I've not had to walk through what many people have had to walk through, like violence, getting disowned, having your family disinvite you from events, um, having people sling Bible passages at you just to show you the error of your ways. Not from my immediate family, from others, from my old church fam. Yeah, I've had that, but my immediate family, I've been really lucky in that. I think the reason my family doesn't come at me and a lot of people in my from my past don't really try to come for me is because I understand my faith so well. And I can defend my arguments point by point. But honestly, I'm not interested in being right. I'm not interested in trying to convert my family or my old church family to being an ally. I'm more interested in being a brother and a son and a cousin and a grandchild and a friend than I am about being biblically combative with those I love. Additionally, I don't think you need to understand the complete biblical case for LGBT inclusion and affirmation before you decide to affirm what God is already doing. And let me say that again, for everyone to hear, whether you're gay, straight, or otherwise, you do not need to understand the complete biblical case for LGBT inclusion and affirmation before you decide to affirm what God is already doing, both within you, in the lives of your friends, in this society. If you know that you know in your deepest spirit that you affirm this, that God is moving You need to say something. You need to do something different. You need to start stepping out in faith. You need to start being bold. Even if you don't understand, because again, your story can never be revoked. Because like even, I mean, what did the early church even have? They didn't have the biblical case for inclusion. They didn't even have the Bible. They had the Holy Ghost. They had their personal experience and they had each other. And that's what I rely on. Most of the time. Now, granted, like, you know, I, again, I have my biblical case and I can defend it point by point and we can go through the Greek and we can go through the Hebrew and we can talk about biblical context of like, what is the Bible? But at the end of the day, this is about human lives. This is about my life. This is about your life. And that's where it needs to start. Before we even get into anything else, my life should be affirmed. Otherwise, we don't have much to talk about. Your life should be affirmed. Beyond that, like, is there any more to say if people can't even look at you and love you as you are? Question mark. 
Okay, so that's been my experience. Let me jump into like six-ish things that I think everyone should know about the coming out process that are fairly universal. Um, six or seven. First thing, when you know that you're ready to come out, take a deep breath. Like I'm serious, like stop right now, take three deep breaths. In through the nose and out through the mouth. Go ahead and do that. I'll, I'll wait for you. Let's do one more together. Feel better? Good, because I do. Breathe. Breathe, my friend. Breathe in the life that is surrounding you and the love that anoints you and the light that is within you. Breathe that in. The first step in the coming out process, I think, is to take a deep breath. That Yes, this is a big deal. And it might be the hardest, most terrifying thing you're ever going to do in your life. And if you're not settled in who you are and who God says that you are, the path forward is going to be even more unbalanced. Realize, first and foremost, that you're loved fully and completely as you are. After that, there's nothing more to figure out. There's nothing to strive for. You were made for one thing, and that is to love and to be loved by your creator. You are made to exist within an upwelling of the spirit and pour that same spirit out onto those around you that they may experience the same fullness of the presence of God that you're experiencing. And that's where this all begins. Now, second thing, look at who is around you. Do you have safe people in your life who are willing to support you no matter what? And I'm talking full acceptance. I'm not talking about the people who will say, I love you, but... I just don't agree with your lifestyle choice, or I don't agree that this is okay, dot, 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 etc., etc. Not talking about those kind of people. Having people who are going to love you because of who you are, not in spite of who you are, is probably the most important part of this process. And that can be hard to find, especially if you're in a smaller, more conservative community. Truthfully, if I didn't have my community around me living here in Atlanta, I don't think that this process would have gone as smoothly as it did for me. And if you don't have people around you, find them. I don't know how you're going to do that. It looks differently. Some people reach out completely online, and that is their safe space. Some people relocate to different cities. Um, Atlanta's great. I think everyone should come to Atlanta. Um, Other great cities, Austin, Texas, uh, Chicago, Richmond, Virginia. I mean, there are little Kansas City, even. There are little hubs all over the country where you can find good LGBT community, and you need that. If you don't have those people around you, again, reach out online. I have met some of the most genuine people and built some of my strongest bonds that I met over Twitter, to be honest, and the blogosphere. And uh, I think you should also get to a conference. Go to the Reformation Project Conference in L.A. Um, This October, go to the Gay Christian Network Conference in January. Um, There are plenty of other affirming conferences happening, and that's where I meet people face-to-face, and there's nothing like it. Nothing like it in all the earth than to be around other queer spiritual people who affirm your existence fully. Third thing, it is really a big one for me. Realize you got to be safe physically. I know that when I felt like I was ready to come out, I was ready to tackle the entire world just because that's who I am naturally. I just kind of throw myself into anything I'm passionate about. But just like you need your people for support, you need to be smart about how you come out. Like I've said before, there are horror stories out there of, of queer people facing violence, actually, like literally actual physical violence from their family or community when they come out. So if you're in a space or a community where you feel like you're going to be physically threatened, um, or even if your family you think is going to be physically violent with you when you are coming out to them, I think bringing somebody with you can be immensely helpful, like a friend if you have a significant other um, You know, sometimes that's helpful. Again, it's going to look different for everybody. But overall, you just have to be safe. And if you don't have someone who can go with you during your coming out process, it might be way, excuse me, it might be wise to simply wait until you're in a place where you are safe. And that could look like finding a different church, moving to a new city, a new apartment, or maybe it looks like staying. Maybe it looks like working through things with your family and community. 
And again, it looks different for every person, but overall you have to find the space that works for you and a space where you're going to be physically safe. Third thing, the fears that you have about losing your ministry opportunities and relationships are valid and warranted. And this is one thing I really hate sharing that you stand to lose a lot. Um, I know that for me, a lot of the people I, I've heard from and who have reached out to me over this past year, tell me like, I know that if I come out, I'm going to lose my ministry. I'm going to be looked at differently. People aren't going to see me anymore. They're just going to see the fact that I'm gay, bi, lesbian, trans, etc. All of it's very likely. And I hate to share that with you. The people around you in your religious, conservative, rural, whatever communities, they're insulated from the rest of the world. They don't have a context for what it is to talk about this issue. And they're more likely to see you through a very skewed lens. And it's horrible and it's sad and it happens to so many of us. And so as someone who's deeply involved in Christian ministry um, and who has been involved in more conservative Christian ministry, I know what it's like to lose my ministry. After I came out, um, no church who had a posting for a worship leader position returned my emails. I was unable to stay with the missions organization where I invested six months of internship work and then before that seven months of volunteering across the globe. So over a year, nothing to show for it. I was suddenly no longer the right fit for jobs that I was overqualified for. I haven't been asked to lead any trips, um, either domestically or abroad, although I got stellar reviews. And even now, like finding a church where I can be myself completely and serve without hiding, it's been a freaking nightmare. My heart broke because my love for the body of Christ was still there, but I was not allowed to fully participate in the life of the church. And my story isn't unique. Like I said, this happens to everyone. Not everyone, excuse me, not everybody, but a lot of people. And I've got friends who have sacrificed a lot to be where they are today. And honestly, if you look at any prominent figure who is a part of the movement for LGBTQ plus equality, who came out of a conservative context, they've lost so much. Um, and there's a lot of healing that we have to work through because of that. So here's the next thing, though, on the other side of that. So like fourth thing, by coming out, yes, you do risk losing a lot of the things that you hold dear. But I will also say that you stand to gain so much more. For me, it was one of those situations where I didn't realize how bad it was until I realized how good it could truly be. I didn't understand how freeing it was to finally tell the truth about how I was feeling. It was like this weight of shame that I had become unaware of just like was lifted off of me. Like physically, my body felt lighter. Secrets are, are heavy, dude. Secrets are like millstones that we carry around our neck and we, you know, we're just like wading into the ocean of God's presence and like rather than like floating and swimming and thriving, we're sinking into an endless ocean of hopelessness. And that's not what we should be doing. If Jesus came to give us an abundant life, why would we want to live a duplicit life of telling one thing to ourselves, another thing to God, and another thing to our community? Living a double, sometimes triple life is exhausting. Trying to be different, two different people within your person, it catches up with you. And honestly, telling the truth brought me freedom. More freedom than I could have ever imagined. And that's, I can, t there's not a person I know today, not a queer person out there who won't tell you that coming out was probably the most difficult, best thing for their life. My connection with God after coming out is stronger because I know that I'm a son in the family of God and not a second class servant. My capacity to love is greater because I know now that my love is full. My thoughts are more focused because I'm not constantly fixated on my sexuality because I was constantly policing myself thinking just like, do they think I'm too gay? Is the way I'm dressed too flamboyant? Should I lower my voice a little bit more? All those things. I wasn't fixated on that anymore. But I will say, additionally, coming out does not fix our emotional scars. And coming out isn't going to fix your emotional trauma that you've gone through. Coming out doesn't guarantee a life of rainbows and sunshine. 
or that the sun, the moon, and the stars are all just going to line up and all your dreams are going to come true and you're going to meet a significant other and get married and all that stuff. No, coming out is not a magical pill. It doesn't free you from shame or fear or self-condemnation. But you, but this is what it is. This is what coming out is. It is a step towards the truth. It's only a step. It's the beginning of a journey. It's the beginning of doing a lot of the difficult work you need to do to become okay with yourself, to become okay with God and your community. And when you come out as a Christian in a church or conservative community, it will undoubtedly be difficult. And in that same vein of talking about how it's not the magical pill, I want to tell you, in fact, I want to implore you to seek professional licensed counseling. Having, a, having your people, yes, is good. Having the people to support you, a community, yes, needed, definitely. Being safe, for sure. And on top of that, I think going to therapy is the next thing you need to do. Going to therapy is a game changer because they're able to see through your own biases. They're able to look at your narrative from like a zoomed out perspective and tell you what you need to hear. And they help with the bigger questions that you may have. It's a space to just cry and get all that crap out of you. So many of us in the process of finding freedom have experienced significant trauma. And make no mistake, trauma is the right word for it. I'd go as far as to say it's a level of PTSD. It's spiritual trauma, stress disorder. And I'm still waiting for the National Psychological Board or whoever does that. I think they should be catching up with this because so many of us are still dealing with those triggers, are still dealing with that trauma, and still acting out of hurt rather than pursuing healing. Like, it, it affects everything. Like, it, it affects the way you relate to people, your romantic endeavors, etc., etc. Coming out is not going to fix you. Coming out does not heal the bleeding parts of your heart. Prayer is good, community is good, all needed. But there's a whole new level of self-care that you need to embrace as a queer person if you want to live a really healthy life. And one more thing on this point that I want to impress upon everyone. I'm not a pastor, and I'm not a therapist, and I cannot carry your burdens for you. Yes, I am a creative. Yes, I'm very empathetic. Yes, I've walked through some stuff and I understand things and I'm always willing to pray and I'm always willing to try and answer an email when I can, but I think we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We have to take responsibility and care of what God has given us and sometimes that means investing in yourself. Yes, therapy can be expensive, but if you've got insurance, a lot of times it, you can get it covered. Many counseling centers also have sliding scales so that you can pay less than a typical session would cost. And sometimes there are even therapy groups um, out of counseling centers that are free. There's also a great app called Talkspace where you can talk to a professional licensed counselor either over the phone or via video chat or text messaging. It's only $34 a week and that is pretty affordable. So do some research on where you live. But seriously, therapy, my friends. Invest in yourself. Do the hard work of healing now while all of this is fresh and at the surface because you're going to thank yourself later down the line and your partner down the line is going to thank you and your community is going to thank you. And the more healing you experience now, the more healing you can give to other people later. So do it for yourself. Do it for everybody else. That's all I got to say. So last thing. Last thing about coming out. You do not have to come out all at once. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that you don't have to shout it from the mountaintop. You don't have to pull a me and start a blog and start a podcast and let the whole world know that you're queer. You don't have to throw glitter and wave a rainbow flag, even though both of those things are so much fun. You can do it in small waves. Maybe at first it's just to a couple of your friends Maybe it's to a trusted family member or a pastor. Um, maybe it's just to yourself. Maybe you need to just come out to yourself and say, yeah, I'm gay. I'm bisexual. I am a transgender individual. I'm a lesbian. I am asexual. I am all the other things that you could be. Whatever word, whatever identity most resonates with you, let it be. But the, you don't have to do this all at once. And again, I do think coming out to publicly to your community, to the people who are in your life, I think that's a necessary part of your journey. And I think willingness to tell your story does wonders for the kingdom of God. 
I think stories cause revolutions in the hearts and minds and cultures that are all around us. Your story is going to be the one that saves somebody else's life. And if you aren't ready to share that part of you with the world, it's okay. This, again, is a unique process that is subjective. Every individual is different, and every situation is dependent upon the circumstances and relationships you have. You need to feel safe, secure, and ready to do, to do this. And so, let me close out this section with one thing. You're loved. You're loved. You are fearfully, wonderfully, and beautifully made. You are accepted as you are for who you are. You are loved because of how God created you, not in spite of it. You are a child of God. You're an heir to the throne. And you are the story that somebody needs to hear so that they can tell their own. You are not alone in this. So, to everyone out there, queer, straight, otherwise, come out, come out, wherever you are. Okay, bearded friends, lend me your ears for like a hot minute one more time. Um, if you struggle with getting your beard remotely decent looking, I have the solution for you. Somewhere out there, there's a human trying to grow a killer beard, but you're plagued by this itchy, stiff, unkept beard growth. Uh, it doesn't have to be you, so you shouldn't let this be you. Captain's Handmade Small Batch Beard Oil. That's the answer. It's going to help you tame your rough mane. It's going to reduce itching. It smells so good. And it's made from a blend of organic, wild-crafted ingredients. These all-natural formulas enrich and strengthen your beard while remaining light, easily absorbed by your hair and skin, and that is just beautiful to me. There's nothing more sexy than a really well-kept beard, in my opinion. Uh, But of course, I'm also a gay male. Anyways, you need to start growing your best beard possible, and to do that, you need to visit buycaptain.com. That's B-U-Y, captain.com and use the discount code BEDLAM and you're going to get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. Live your best life and be your own captain. What could be better than that? Let me answer that for you. Not a lot of things. Again, buycaptain.com, discount code is BEDLAM, get free shipping, what up? Okay, on to part two. This week I'm sharing a fun conversation with my friend, the Reverend Sarah Heath. Like, just full disclosure... Big old crush. And she was actually the first person I interviewed for this podcast. But, like, because, like, all the interviews I had, I was like, oh, let me wait and save this for something delicious. So a little bit about Sarah. She's an ordained elder for the California Pacific Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, UMC. She is currently serving as a teaching and preaching site pastor for Rancho Santa Margarita. No, Rancho Santa Margarita campus of the Shepherd Hills UMC in Southern California. Sarah's leadership thrives particularly in the church, worship arts team, outreach missions, the give ministries that serve locally as well as globally in partnered communities. Though Sarah was born in Newfoundland, Canada, she was raised in Ontario until her family moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 1994, where she lived the rest of her childhood. Um, Keeping close to her newfound and southern roots, Sarah attended the University of Southern Mississippi after high school graduation, where she received her BS in psychology with a minor in biology. And after hearing the call to ministry, she attended Duke Divinity School, where she earned her Master's of Divinity in 2005. Um, She can be found looking like a Coachella princess out in Costa Mesa, where she's doing various guest writing for books and blogs. I met her and instantly fell in love with her, and she is such an amazing human. So, here we go. This is my conversation with my friend, Sarah Heath. So, um, I was in a situation where I had been um, doing ministry for... Um, since 2005, and this was probably five years ago that this incident happened, uh, maybe four. Um, and I was in a gathering of about 50 creatives that um, actually Rob Bell put on, and he was just 
kind of, if anyone had any questions, they're allowed to sort of stand up and speak. And I was at a place where truthfully I was ready to leave ministry. I didn't feel like I fit in. Mm -hmm. I um, was tired of constantly feeling like I had to be different. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm female, I have a nose ring. I mean, things that like are I'm young, just, I'm female, I have a nose ring. That's the thing. It's putting me over the edge. That's it. That's it. I'm over the edge. Um, uh, but not just that, like I was so passionate about having uh, music and things like that that were more culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. And I was surrounded in um, just people who just didn't see the same way that I saw ministry. And I'd gone through a personal um, difficulty where um, something in my life that I was really excited about happening didn't happen. And so mm-hmm. I was feeling kind of like, like, yeah, God exists, but he's not like a huge fan of mine. And I'm not really sure I'm a huge fan of his. Problem being... Um, I was a preacher, so yep. every Sunday, yep. um, there, there were times when I would cry from my ch- my home down to the church, and then have to go and buy mascara at a, a, gr- a grocery store because you can't look like a hot mess in the pulpit. That's just not um, allowed. Yeah, because people are going to be like, just like what? What is, happened? Yeah, yeah. Why so she, I. Why does yeah. she look so terrible? Why does she look so terrible? Um, which I hope they don't ask now. But I ended up. Um, going to this conference in sort of a place of like, well, I'm really creative and I like being around creative people and I don't know what I want to do anymore. And, um, I didn't think I would ever ask a question because although I can talk in front of thousands of people, I get a little uncomfortable in like such a small setting Mm -hmm. when it seems really intimate and and vulnerable. And I knew I was going to be with these people for two days. So he started, I know he started talking and what's really interesting is like, this is actually the moment that I met science Mike, but, um, (laughs) I, he was just Mike at the time. He was just Mike at the time. That's another story uh-huh. that I want to that I want to hear. <laughs> so uh, I stood up, and I he, someone was talking about church and blah, blah blah. And I stood up and I said, like, what if the church is actually not okay what you're doing with like who you are? And the weird part was it was one of those moments where like you're standing up and you don't know how you got there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're like, words are coming out of my mouth, and I don't really know what I'm doing, and I got to keep going with this. So I said you know, here are all the things I'm not like, I hate doing this and I'm, I'm not good at this. And, um, you know, I'm not that, and I'm not this. And I started listing all these things because I'd been in a very painful situation where I was working at one church, but attending another church that was like oh, wow. super like sexy church, mm-hmm. every V neck iteration you can imagine. Yeah. All the guys look- have the deep V necks because the deeper the uh, V neck, the closer to God, right? That's true. Yes. <laughs> that's my new hashtag. Um, so I, um, but I knew I didn't fit in because I would go to like Bible studies and be like, these people are arguing about something that like Augustine wrote about or origin wrote about, like you didn't invent this friends. Um, <laughs> but as like a female, I, it was really odd to me coming to Southern California and thinking it would be a very open situation. I, mm-hmm. I found like, if I, if I said anything, it was kind of like, I felt all of a sudden like, um, whoa, you know, uh, they actually didn't care that I had a master's in divinity. Not that I needed to like push that on. And I tend to have the kind of personality that really wants to make other people comfortable and mm-hmm. doesn't need to like assert their um, opinion. So I stood up and I, like, I was like telling him all the things that I'm not. And he just stopped me. And um, if you've never met uh, Rob, he's really tall. And so oh, he's he, like, so tall. Yeah. It's, so, he's it's a, intimidating almost. Yeah. He's a big, big human. And so he like moved his arms and he said, stop telling me who you're not. She said, start telling me who you are. Who are you? And I was like, oh, well, I'm Sarah, and I'm really passionate about art and creativity, and I love speaking, and kind of shared a little bit about this. And then he just stops, and he looks around the room and goes, anyone else want to go to Sarah's church? And all of them raised their hands. And so um, it was one of those moments mm-hmm. where afterwards, Mike, uh, who's become one of my best friends, he walked up to me and said, I'm so glad you exist because my daughters need you to exist. Mm. Um, and I think I, for so long, was, um, you know, uh, trying hard to fit into a culture that looked like me, if that makes sense. Like, we all look like we just walked out of Urban Outfitters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we My... did, you know, when that was a thing. And <laughs> it, I think it's still a thing. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, In certain places. Certain yeah. spaces. I mean, and, you know, I fit into the culture, but my, who God was calling me to be didn't fit into that iteration of Christianity. And it was really interesting to me, like the more hipster the church got, the more conservative or more, um, reformed in theology the church got to. Isn't that interesting? So weird. (laughs) Like that, that's been like one of the the biggest things for me is, um, 
you know, you look at like the more hipster, the cool, the more sexy, the church. Yeah. And it's almost just like you, you got to make sure you fit in because, yeah. you'd... and that's also like a problem I find now, like the, the church I go to love them, but they were super hipster. Like I'm like talking like top, not central. On <laughs> um, how how would you uh, rank your number of boat neck tees? Because that's oh, really in right now. Like a giving just just giving us a little shoulder blade. Um, that's... Um, I am the one usually wearing the boat neck TVA. <laughs> um, like was like the revealing one... the chest piece. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's that's, that's uh, crucial. Needed. Yeah, I yeah. want to make sure that I look like super holy with my with my liturgy tattooed on my skin. And like my lion and my lamb tattoos during worship because this right here, that's what, uh, that's how you can tell. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing, but like what I like about, um, at least about my church and then I'll let's, I'll throw the mic back to you, but the, we're in this space of just trying to explore a lot more of like the deeper things. I feel like my, my pastors are finally getting woke. And so like the past two sermons have been like the basics of biblical feminists, and I'm just like, yes, this is bomb. Uh, I think that's that's a that's a really uh, a call to mainline denominations because we always felt like special because we were the ones like, well, the evangelicals are growing as a church, but we we know that women can lead, and we know that you know inclusion is important. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? <laughs> like the church as a whole, there's a movement um, mm-hmm. that's starting to happen, and so yeah, um, it's got to be tied with people's. Um, just excitement about the personhood and, um, and person of Christ, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes gets missed out. Like we're all either social justice or, um, or we're, we're all about, I like NT Wright put it right. Uh, like, I think that's really helpful. Um, of course, cause he's NT, right. Yeah. But he said, um, people's lives or people's faith or, or churches are very focused on, um, one of two things. And, um, either they're focused on the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. So they're completely focused on like, how do I like be a good person? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I follow Christ as if he's like my guru? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so like, let's just love everybody, which is awesome and great. And who I am at my very core. Um, so people get really focused on that. Now, other people get super focused as a church or a movement on like the death of Christ and what that meant. And yeah. just so focused on the end of Christ's life that like who Christ was gets missed out on. It's like all about the victory and blah, blah, blah. And we got to save people and just so focused on that part. And his point is like weaving those two together is kind of Mm. where all churches are. I think they're trying to kind of get in Mm. my like most optimistic self. (laughs) That's what I'd say. But I've been so surprised by like evangelical churches who are doing just like amazing and great things for, um, Mm. for the community, but that's not always the norm, but yeah. So we just had a bishop elected who is not only female, but she's a lesbian. Yeah, I saw and, that. And she's an outed lesbian, <laughs> um, which I think you were the one who told me, no, I'm not practicing. I'm professional. Yeah. Um, so she's <laughs> she's like in the major leagues of she's lesbianism. Yeah. Um, she <laughs> she uh, is phenomenal and runs this huge church. And the beauty of the moment is that like a lot of people who were in the top running actually stepped down so that she could be the forerunner. Wow. So people who this was their opportunity to become bishop, which is a very big honor in our denomination. And you work really hard to get there. And um, you really feel called to that. And you have to be within a certain age range as far as like you have to be able to serve more than one, what we call a quadrennium. But anyway, she she is this um, powerhouse of a human, loves the Holy Spirit, just like this really interesting person. And so I had clicked like on somebody posting the fact that she had become a bishop. Mm. And so privately someone messaged me and mm. it's one of my friends. Cause I grew up in the South. Um, oh, after yeah. I, I lived in Canada until I was 14. Then I moved to Mississippi and this wonderful person I went to high school with, um, sent me this like amazing message on Facebook. She's like, I wanted to just say thank you for liking that post. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't take my kids to church anymore. And, like, she comes from, like, a conservative background. She said, I, I can't take my family to church anymore. And I, I, I kind of asked her why. And she shared that, like, her her 
understanding of God affirming all people mm-hmm. means that church is a unsafe place for her children to grow up. Wow. Because if she is constantly teaching them at home that love is love is love. A person is a person is a person. Mm -hmm. And then for her to go into a church community and hear the opposite, she feels like is really damaging to her children, which I thought was phenomenal. So her and her husband still love the Lord, but they're not not going to church. Um, But what I found was interesting is like, she liked that I had mentioned that. And recently also I was speaking with a couple, a lesbian couple from my church and we had the same conversation where um, they said, why are you being so bold and saying anything? Um, you know, you're not a lesbian. Um, that's not part of your journey. And, uh, why, why are you so excited about this bishop? And I said, well, here's the thing. Like you guys have to remember, I'm able to preach because a while ago, someone else stood up and said, we're going to make way. Come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how am I supposed to stand up in a pulpit and be like, actually, I'm going to be quiet on this. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not something I preach from the pulpit, like unless it has to do with what we're talking about, but it is something that in my own life, I embody. Mm-hmm. It's something that I welcome in my congregation. Yeah. It's something that I welcome in leadership because I know that if it falls on me to face consequences, that I would rather be wrong on the side of overloving than mm-hmm. get to a point where Jesus is like, Really? (laughs) Like you were so stuck on what you thought I wanted. Um, uh, and I also know that, you know, on other people's backs, do I get to do what I do? Mm -hmm. You know, other people had to deal with, um, not being allowed in seminaries. Other people had to deal with, Mm -hmm. uh, men walking out of the church when they found out a woman was appointed, you know? Um, and so I feel like it's my, duty and my call and my, um, just to say like, I'm not an ally. Like I'm a co-conspirator. Let's go. Let's take this thing down because somebody else did that for me. And as much as I'm like, I don't make waves. I'm a number two. I'm the need to be needed. Mm -hmm. Like let, can everyone please love me? And I would also like to hug everyone. So it's very hard for me to make waves. But at the same time, I just feel like I need to be on the side of where I know the Holy spirit is moving. What, like what would you say to like a clergy person or a pastor who is like in an environment where like they know like in their hearts that like they're affirming, they haven't said mm. it out loud. They haven't shared it online. They dare not like anything at thekevingarcia.com because it's like <laughs> Kevin's a gay and he's a very loud one. So um, what would you say to like, what would you say to those closeted allies? If you will. I, first of all, I would say I would get, I get it. You know, I recently shared, um, I was actually being interviewed on another podcast and the person asked me, um, you know, how did you get here? And I I shared that, um, I grew up in a affirming household and that my parents never really explained to us the difference in family and Canada is in a different place with this whole conversation. They've had had same sex marriage for decades, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like my whole life, that wasn't a weird thing. Um, And so I grew up just like family is a family is a family. Mm -hmm. So then we moved to Mississippi and I'm United Methodist. And so we're not really having the conversation because we tend to like just turtle. We don't like that, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, I was part of the Baptist student union in college because again, they had the sexy musicians, um, (laughs) with the nice V-necks. With the nice, did they have V-necks at that time? Was that a thing? Like, oh yeah, I'm old. Um, but. (laughs) I, was it, we were doing, oh, you know what we were doing then? We were doing, guys were wearing like, um, old man sweaters. That was the thing. Oh yeah. I went yeah. through that. I did that. And, and like a, an unnecessary scarf. That was the thing. Oh God. Yeah, God have mercy on us for our fashion sense if nothing else. <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of started to think. I felt like being gay. I remember for probably like a year because again, it wasn't my struggle. Um, I had a couple gay friends who had decided to be gay, but not live that way. Oh, so yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying. Side B-ish. Yes. And I felt like I wanted to honor them. And so when I would talk to them about it, they would say things like, well, it's like being an alcoholic. Now I now know, I know, I now know they were being given that narrative. Oh yeah. They were being, being sold that. Um, that's like a shot to the heart right there. I, I used to say that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Wanted again. I wanted to honor their story. So if that mm-hmm. was how they felt 
um, I was going to honor that. And so it wasn't until I got to seminary and I started to see people who I were like way better Christians than me, like listening to like K-Rock, loving Mercy Me, (laughs) and they were super gay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if there is a thing. Um, And so I remember kind of letting go of that. It's like alcoholism because Mm -hmm. alcoholism is harming to others, right? Yeah. And harming to self. And for me, if I was honest in myself and I sat and I see these beautiful, loving people who are loving each other well, bringing each other closer to the kingdom of God, Mm. how do I look at that and go, oh, you know what? Like, actually, um, (laughs) it's like alcoholism. And then... Oh, yeah. Come on, pastor. Come through. So I was sitting in a class. And this is honestly, I don't know if he would even remember this moment, but it's one of these moments where I feel like the spirit keeps bringing this example in my heart. Um, and this is what I would say to the person, why I get it is, um, I was sitting in a class and there was this like, um, movement. I went to Duke in um, North Carolina and there was this movement where everyone was wearing shirts that say gay. Okay. By me. Um, and everybody, was getting ready for a rally, um, around that. And my friend who was gay, who, by the way, I sat next to every day, pretty much in class. Cause he was a good friend. He said, Sarah, do you want to come to this ally thing? And it was one of these moments where I chose wrong. Mm. I made up some reason why I'm, I think I said I had to do some, I don't remember what it was, because that wasn't the point of it. That wasn't the point of the lesson for me. I just, it's been 10 years and I've not been able to let go of the fact that I couldn't stand beside him because I was afraid of what people would think about me or my stance on the topic. And I remember very, uh, pretty soon after that, reading that quote, you know, where they, the, the Jewish quote, um, and it basically says like, they came for these people and I stood silent. They came for these people and I stood silent. And then they came for me and there was no one there to help me. And Mm. I feel like I, in that moment made the wrong choice, but it has set me on a trajectory where I don't make that choice anymore. Mm. Um, where I, when someone asked me to do something, um, it has taken me a long time to be bold. Again, it's not my narrative or story. And I never wanted to be an issue pastor. That was the thing I always said. Um, Mm. I don't want to be an issue pastor. But through my example of living and loving people, you know, I just got told yesterday there was a couple that came to our church, my old um, congregation I was at, a lesbian couple been together for a very long time. And I didn't know that until months into them attending, they felt as if they couldn't touch at church. Mm-hmm. Until, like, they couldn't touch each other at yeah. church because that they wanted to make other people comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was, um, they had seen other folks in the church, Mm -hmm. uh, that they were like, Oh, I guess that doesn't make people uncomfortable. And I, I think the one person shared with me that she felt like part of that is that I'm not uncomfortable with that. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think if we stay silent and, and you don't even have to make a big declaration. I've never once stood in a pulpit and said, Hey guys, (laughs) here's what I think. And part of it is, I don't think it's my issue that I can't, I need to be an ally and not a, a person who's really proud of themselves for standing up for this. So what I mean by that is, um, people often ask why at the other site we chose not to be a reconciling congregation. And even though I think reconciling congregations are amazing and doing amazing work, I sat and chatted with, um, some of my, uh, lesbian couples and said, you know, do you want us to, to do this? And they said, here's the thing. This is a place where we feel safe and where you've always treated us like we're just a normal family. Like, so your questions are like, what Sunday are you the greeting team? Like, it's not like, Mm. and they, they said, we're so tired of being a pony show and we don't want to be like your collection of, Oh, and here are lesbians, you know? (laughs) Um, and so for them, It was a, they just wanted it to be such an open community that there didn't need to be a label on it. Now, I don't know that that's our choice that we're going to make at the current site. But Mm. again, you want to let people who the issue is their issue and you're standing with them. So it becomes our issue, but you're leading me. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you what we're going to do for it. Yeah, that's Um, good. 
And so it's been really rad. Like we had uh, one of our candidates for ministries, a lesbian, and uh, she came into it coming from a church that like literally wouldn't let her go through the first vote. So she comes over to our church and it's a unanimous vote. This is conservatives, like everything. But what they saw in her was Jesus and her ability mm. to lead and teach and preach that um, they didn't even like vote on the issue. Um, and I, so I think that's where, yeah, that's kind of where I would sit with someone. And, and again, I never prescribe something for other people in ministry because I know how hard it is. Instead, mm. I can just share my story and say what has been so lovely is that people have graciously let me be an ignorant idiot mm-hmm. <laughs> and just been like, actually, um, yeah. and, and allowing other people to, to lead you. And you don't have to make a big deal um, because it becomes a big deal just in who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of my, I have to tell you this story, and you can like edit for length or whatever. But I'll, I mean, I'll keep t- you can talk to me for forever. You know that. <laughs> my um, one of my favorite stories about trying to figure out who we were as a church identity in my last um, setting was we were at um, an, a wonderful AIDS organization walk, mm-hmm. like just fantastic. Uh, Orange County, um, AIDS foundation is just fantastic. The, the way they give to people, it's just wonderful. And so we had a little booth there and one of the people on our staff, um, came from the Saddleback church and he is a worship leader. He is a gracious, gracious man. And even though he grew up more conservative and even though he wasn't sure how to feel about our gay and lesbian community at the church, like he was just kind of like, well, he would sit with the pastors and be like, uh, what do you guys think? And we'd be like, well, actually, we're okay with it, and they're on leadership. And, and so he he took mm. it upon himself to, like, have dinner with these folks and, like, mm. really, like, get to know them and yeah. find their story and discovered what all of us discovered, which is, like, these people are way better Christians than we'll ever be. So we um, <laughs> we were in this booth, and in this booth were this lesbian couple um, – and also this worship leader, and they were just doing what they were doing, just hand, handing out prayer squares to people and just hanging out. And this woman <laughs> marches up to them and says, it is so good that the progressive church is here. And says this to one of the, um, one of the women, um, we just need to band together as a progressive church. And so when the, the woman turns to the worship leader and says, are we, what's a, are we a progressive church? And his answer is, I don't know. We just really love Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. So I get there and they're like, that, that Hey, right Pastor there. Sarah, what's a progressive church? And I was like, Oh, uh, and I explained it to them. Well, some people, and they're like, Oh, I guess we are that, but that's not what, what their first indication was. They're like, our first indication is like, Jesus told us to hang out with people, even when we don't understand them. So that's where we start. Like they didn't even have any name mm. for it or like what we were. They're like, I guess we're progressive. But that for me is like when the kingdom work is being done because I want our conservative brothers and sisters who, by the way, also were there. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to feel just as welcome, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like if we're going to be open, let's really be open. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you, I think you said in passing that you were submitting a, uh, your manuscript for a book. Yeah. Is that, has that, that happened? Yeah. So I have, you want to hear about that? Yeah. <laughs> tell me about, okay. tell me about the book that you've written that you're working through that's coming out. Okay. So I have a book coming out in the spring called what's your story. And it's based on, I actually went to the Donald Miller storyline conference. Oh, so great. Yeah, so great. And he, like, for two seconds, mentions the story of Joseph oh, and yes. says, here's a, here's a story arc. And everyone else started writing their own story. And me being the Bible nerd I am just sat with Joseph's story, like, most of the day, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure out, like, how can we understand story? Mm-hmm. How can we understand Joseph's story? And how do we um, merge these two narratives together? And so um, it's a book called What's Your Story? learning to see your life through God's eyes. And it's, um, it's going to be video curriculum. So actually Mike McCurk oh, cool. is going to share his story. Yeah. He's going to share his story. And then the new AKA part is science Mike for those science who don't know Mike. about his, yeah. his real name. Yeah. Yeah. That's his real name. Science Mike is actually his legal name now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we, uh, so he's going to tell his story. I'm, and then the, the actual book itself is an art journal. Oh, so cool. it'll have writing. It kind of looks typewritery. And then there's uh, word art and spots for journaling. 
So um, that'll come out in the spring. And then I wrote a book that we're still working on uh, finding a publisher for Mm -hmm. um, called Always a Pastor, Never a Bride, The Spiritual Memoir for the Disappointed. Um, And it's sort of the story of uh, what happens when, uh, well, A, you go through heartbreak in a really public way. Mm -hmm. Um, I was 29 or 30. And it was when, um, I know what you're thinking is there's no way you're over that at this point. You're right. So, so like yesterday, uh, and I was, uh, a new pastor at a new church and I was, um, getting married and we were just like, if you want to talk about like hipster, we had matching nose rings, tattoos, Mm, like he played bass, you know what I mean? Like we were like, you were a power couple. Yeah. We were the cover of relevant. Um, and and he, and he left, um, And I had been introduced. We weren't yet engaged. We were, um, he had asked my family, we had gone ring shopping, but we hadn't taken that next step. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have like church meetings cause he was going to go on my health care. He was being introduced as my soon to be husband oh, and he left. And about eight months later, well, six months later, he was engaged to, um, a non-denom girl and one of them non-denom girls. Yeah. Yeah. They dated for two weeks, um, and then got married, um, eight months later. And it was really a celebration for their community that he had met the love of his life. And, um, and yet there was this body left behind and, Mm. um, it would have been fine if, if Facebook didn't exist. And so my congregation had met him because, you know, we came kind of as a couple in Mm. some ways. And when he, when that didn't happen, it was not only publicly grieving, I couldn't publicly grieve. I didn't have language or understanding or, um, but then also people are on Facebook seeing things that are, um, you know, they're like, we love Sarah and to see this happen and to hear another community excited about this. It's really difficult. And yet I had to, I had to like walk the line of being like, no, it's great. Good for him. You know, and inside like, also, You're, I never want to eat again. Um, so yeah, there was like this. Yeah, it's. I can't. Of, I cannot imagine that. It was rough. Um, and so, in all of that, uh, holding on to that God loves me, even if I'm not living the life that I once not only wanted, but was looking down the barrel of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ooh, now that's a line right there. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, one of my favorite chapters you'll love, it's about my experience in the non-denominational church and it's called, um, being excommunicated was easier than communicating with my ex. Um, <laughs> I would buy, I honestly, I would also buy that book if that like book was just expanded. <laughs> yeah. You would love it. One of the chapters is like 50 shades of grace, the awkward sexuality of a female pastor. Um, I would read because, that book too. Yeah. So it's just like all these little blog posts or like conversations that I had that I, haven't really been able to process or, Mm -hmm. and I never wanted to share the story. Um, the neat thing was I was at a party where half the people were Christians and a lot of the people weren't. And, Mm -hmm. uh, someone's, you know, played the game they love to play, which was like, guess what Sarah does for a job. It's like a big party game. It's so fun. Um, You guys are coming in there looking like Christian Coachella, as you said before. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, here I come in Christian Coachella with my um, my floppy hat and my felt, whatever. Anyway, so I was in this, in this, at this party where I didn't know most people at it. And, um, you know, they go through the usual guesses, stripper, like all these oh, different things, fun. you know, cause wh- why would her, um, job be so odd that someone would ask me about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I said, no, I'm a pastor. And that really fascinated people. And mm-hmm. then they started asking me about my dating life. Cause they're like, you're not married. Right. And I was like, no, thanks for bringing that up. And, uh, for whatever reason, I felt like being really funny. And so I started telling the stories and I realized there was just like a, a circle of people listening and they were relating because a lot of them were, um, very influential women who were experiencing, like, there's really not a lot of dudes who want to like step up to this plate. Like there's like a line of women who want to marry like men in ministry. Mm-hmm. There's like no one who's like, you know what I want? A lady of the cloth. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Like other than people who have like really weird nun fetishes, there's not really a lineup for that. Um, (laughs) which they're probably a wild goose. I don't know. Um, keep going. Keep going. This is great. Yeah. I, uh, as I was sitting in that circle, this woman was like, you literally have to share your stories. Um, and I was like, but they're so embarrassing. Um, and she's like, doesn't matter. Like 
think about all the people who have experienced heartbreak and walked away from God because they're like, well, clearly, like, because there was just such a ridiculous um, signs from God, I thought that my life was going to look a certain way. And it, oh, yeah. it I haven't, it doesn't at all. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's the one. So that's kind of my pet project. And then I'm finishing up the Joseph project and we're going to start filming soon. Um, those okay. little video clips. Cool. You know, oh, I'm planning a new church. No big deal. You know. That was my conversation with Reverend Sarah Heath. You can find her all over the internet. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rev Sarah Heath. And on her blog slash website, RevSarahHeath.com. Okay, that's it. As per usual, if you did not know, A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, a collective of creatives sounding off on things that actually matter. Uh, this week, or this past week, The Trust Fall with Anthony Garcia, my internet cousin, just dropped. It's thebomb.com. We also have Too Real with Cope, which he talks to creatives about beautiful creative processes while still dealing with everyday life. It's so fascinating. So fascinating. And we also have one coming out soon uh, talking about movie reviews. So if you love movies, like, there you go. This is for you. Um, If you want to learn more about the Bedlam Podcast Network or if you want to advertise with us, check us out at bedlampodcast.com and be sure to look at our really affordable advertising rates. So if you're a blogger, a self-made, published, you know, person, this is where you do it. Um, Next week, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like there's like a sermon that's been brewing in my head and I feel like sharing it with you guys. So next week might just be a sermon. I don't know. Um, Let's find out. Remember to grab your Bad Theology Kills shirt at thekevingarcia.com slash merch. Remember to subscribe to my blog so you can stay up to date with all the crap that I'm doing slash all the really fun blogs that I write. And you can grab my ebook, which is Are You a Practicing Homosexual? And other things I'd wish you'd quit asking for free just by subscribing. That's at thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe. And... Lastly, if you want to support the work of this podcast or my blog, you can do so by coming by becoming a patron through Patreon. Patreon is this really great platform where you can help support the creatives in your life and the work that they're doing on a monthly basis. The majority of the, cr- the creative work I do is pro bono because I simply want to say the things that need to be said. And I do love this work, but if you also love it too, if you're a consumer, if you are you know, liking the things that I'm doing, it seriously helps so much to give one, two, five, ten bucks a month in order to help that. And there's some really great perks that go along with that. So you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash support to learn how to become a supporter and patron through Patreon. And if you're strapped for cash, like I know a lot of us are, you can still help through giving me a review in the iTunes store. Just go to the iTunes store, search a tiny revolution, and give me a good review because that helps connect other people with this podcast and boost the legitimacy of the Bedlam Podcast Network and the creative work that we do. Whew, that was a mouthful. I'm out of here. I'll see you in a couple weeks in California. Go get your shirt. Um, drink some coffee. Call your persons. Um, take a nap if you need to. Yeah, take a nap. I think that would be good for you. Um, I'm done. I hope that you love this episode of A Tiny Revolution, and I hope that you know that you're loved. Till next week, I'm Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to you later. Babu. Mwah. You know what I want? A lady of the cloth. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... <laughs>